0: This forum is part of the City Club's Local Heroes series, sponsored by Citizens Bank and Dominion Energy. We're grateful for their generous support. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland, Incorporated. Welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop, chief executive here and a proud member. Today is June 4th, and you're with a virtual City Club forum live from the City Club. Big thanks to our again to our production partners at Ideastream for helping us bring the forum back here to the City Club. And believe me, we will be welcoming you back here very shortly. Last June, a year ago, about roughly. The Karamu House presented Freedom on Juneteenth, an original theatrical production and artistic response to the recent murders of black Americans through, and this was a presentation through music, dance, and spoken word. Within the first 24 hours, more than 50,000 people across the country had watched the production. It was a production in keeping with the tradition of Karamu House, the nation's oldest multicultural arts institution. Originally called the Playhouse Settlement, it was founded in 1915 by two Oberlin College grads as a place where people of all races, creeds, and religions could find common ground. Playhouse Settlement became an active contributor to the Harlem Renaissance and became a magnet for emerging African-American artists, including Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston. In 1941, it was renamed Karamu. That's the Swahili word for a place of joyful gathering. Around the time of its 100th anniversary, Karamu faced a crisis. Their tax-exempt status had been revoked, staff had been laid off, and funding and audiences had declined dramatically. And then along came Tony Sias, the Director of Arts Education for the Cleveland Metro School District and artistic Cleveland sc- and the Artistic Director at Cleveland School of the Arts. And he was named President and CEO of Karamu. Under his leadership, Karamu underwent a profound transformation. One American theater magazine called, quote, one of the most overlooked success stories in American theater. We will overlook it no more. Tony Sias is with us today to talk about that transformation and the institution's ongoing commitment to bringing, li- to bringing to light the critical issues shaping the black American experience. Tony Sias, welcome to the City Club.
1: It is an honor to be here with you today, Dan.
0: It is so great to have you. If you have questions for Tony, uh, you can text those questions to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet those questions at the City Club and we'll work them into our program. The second half, as you know, is reserved for audience Q&A. Tony, um, I just want to start out by asking how you are, because this, these last few weeks, between the commemoration of the death of George Floyd a year ago, and the commemoration of the Tulsa massacre a hundred years ago, um, these are really heavy, heavy times. These are heavy times, and um, I am doing well.
1: But I have to say that uh, this past year, I realized the toll that um, it takes on continuously uh, producing Uh during this time and the content of doing the work. So I've had to kind of step back and do a little self-care in the midst of it all.
0: (laughs) What does that look like for you?
1: Uh, Some walking now that the weather's (laughs) changed, getting Uh my hands dirty, doing some uh, lawn work, and trying to stay consistent with my trainer. Uh-huh. so that, that, and eating right, but those are the kinds of things I'm trying to do
0: yeah it it has been a really a really heavy time, and in the midst of it too there's this um i mean like I mean life is always like this, right right there's the heaviness of life the the sadness that that we carry with us the the crises that we face, and then the the joy of the 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 way in which life is beginning to return back to normal. I know last night you hosted an event uh, in the parking lot Karamu.
1: Yes. So we had our uh, benefit. It was a hybrid event, and it was entitled Karamu Rising. So mm-hmm. people were able to join us online, and a uh, 100 of our dearest Karamu friends and patrons joined us in the parking lot of Karamu, and we had a lovely evening.
0: But let's, I, let's really dig in here, Tony. And, um, I mean, last year at this time last year, you were furiously rewriting and, re- and changing completely the, what you were planning to present for Juneteenth. Um, you had one, prior to the, the murder of George Floyd, the tragic murder of George Floyd, you had sort of one, one idea, and then that happened, and the world changed, I mean, the world, the world changed entirely um, when that happened, and everybody, everybody's plans shifted. And everybody's priorities shifted, and rightly so. Right. Um, you uh, talk a little bit about what happened then for Kermit.
1: So we were originally uh, going to do a Bill Withers concert and cel- uh, to celebrate Juneteenth. And at the point that George Floyd was murdered, uh, I called the staff and said, "Hey." concert canceled we're going to create a original piece because we have to respond to this mm-hmm. uh, in the midst of this pandemic we still have to use our our uh the Karamu as an institution to respond to give voice to uh presenting a piece of work that speaks to the historical trajectory of african americans in this country but we wanted to it was important to us to do a couple of things to celebrate educate and activate Mm -hmm. So we needed to celebrate uh, Juneteenth and what it truly is, the emancipation of enslaved Africans in this country. We needed to educate people about the work and um, Juneteenth, but also to activate the community, to use the arts as a vehicle to begin to uh, uh, move people forward in understanding what this black experience has been about. And it was undeniable at the point that George Floyd was murdered some of the things that the issues that we've been talking about for hundreds of years became very undeniable through the platform of social
0: media. Mm-hmm. The, the Juneteenth, we should explain, because I, I know there are audience members right now who are who, who don't know exactly what Juneteenth refers to. It's June 19th, the day when at last, finally, news of the emancipation reached the la- the, is, is to, said to have reached the last group of of enslaved African, people of African descent. Yes, in Galveston, Texas. In Galveston, Texas. And so for two
1: and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed, there were still thousands of uh, enslaved black folks. And so that moment meant that truly all people were free.
0: June nineteenth, 1865. And yet... I mean, there is this ongoing conversation um, about how free people truly are. And I, I, I want to ask you about how, like, culture has shifted over the last year because it seems to me that there is something substantively different happening um, in this, in our, in our nation today, in actually around the world in a lot of ways, that black culture and american culture and the ways in which those those i mean they're not two individual things but the way in which all of that fits together there's a it's it feels like the racial if if you use the word if racial reckoning is sort of shorthand for these moments we've that we've had there was reconstruction and the failure of reconstruction there was the civil rights era which may have been the second reconstruction and then there's there's now which some people are saying might be a third reconstruction another racial reckoning this feels different than other moments in you know in our lifetimes and I don't know if you if you if you feel that as an as a presenter of the as an arts presenter and as a creative person yourself uh, I do feel that and it kinda goes back to
1: the undeniable moment of how George Floyd was murdered and that we've talked about um, Policing and the relationship and how black folks are treated differently and That the aha moment to say no something happened This is really personal for me. I say this Mm -hmm. is that me as a black man um, Watching the landscape even in our city that uh, there's an acknowledgement that something very traumatic did happen Mm -hmm. and that there's an acknowledgement that something had been happening prior to now. So you see organizations and institutions, many of whom have made statements about uh... being anti-racist, acknowledging the past, and then there's others who have gone beyond just a statement Mm -hmm. but have put in action uh... prioritizing equity within their institutions and organizations. And To then follow up behind um, a grandiose statement with action is really huge. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there are many more organizations and institutions that have the opportunity to follow up with actionable steps aligned to a budget and a timeline that is baked into a strategic consciousness and Mm -hmm. plan for organization. But I do see those who have taken action who mm-hmm. are then becoming the leaders in helping others understand the importance of doing this mm-hmm. and how to do it. And it's not um, one size fits all. Right. And organizations and institutions have their own priorities and have to unpack and really do a reflection on how have they coexisted and, and, and operated. As organizations, has diversity and equity and inclusion been uh, central to their their mission? Have they had leadership, but in positions? But how effective have those uh, leaders and organizations been in creating equity? Mm-hmm. And so I am seeing that, and I see people responding uh, to Karamu in a very unique way. Uh, we're having conversations that historically it was hard to get. Uh, conversations with some folks, and now uh, being invited to have conversations to better understand who we are as an institution, and us better understanding who they are as organizations.
0: Say more about that. Like, what do you? What do you mean? Are you talking about corporate, you know, corporate philanthropy being more engaged, or are you talking about about a different level of, of civic engagement and a different kind of role for Carmen
1: Well, I think it's a combination of both. Of course, corporate engagement, uh, but it's civic engagement. So as a result of um, us producing uh since june of last year uh 13 different pieces some for private organizations that says mm-hmm. hey we see you you figured out how to produce in this pandemic can you produce something for us um but we found that uh there's some corporations that are interested in us working with them in developing content that would align to their uh dei strategy uh-huh. so we don't want to we're not the content experts in in diversity, equity, and inclusion. What we are doing, finding ourselves doing, is creating content so that they can use theater as a part of that vehicle. Uh-huh. Now, is this new? No. But in this seminal moment, people are kind of shied away from it. Uh, 15, uh-huh. 20 years ago, you had organizations that would use theater and some of the games to engage corporates. But right now, what we're really seeing is that the narratives and stories we're able to create
0: mm-hmm.
1: create a sense of empathy mm-hmm. in terms of better understanding. And how do we use that as a springboard to moving the needle forward, for people mm-hmm. to really be able to reflect,
0: to mm-hmm. be able
1: to say, uh, there, is, there are different choices that we should be able to make, uh, and we should be able to work together. And the work is collaborative, mm-hmm.
0: and everybody's work is individual. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. That, I mean, you say you're not content experts in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I would, I would say that you're content experts in the human experience. Um, I mean that is, and and you sort of put the hit it very cleanly, the nail on the head with the you know noting that the the capacity of theater to create empathy, and it does seem to me that that so much of uh, well, there's a there's a, a a friend of ours in the community you may know Jackie Acho who talks about like empathy deficit disorder, mm-hmm. right? And so much of what we are facing in terms of the challenges of um, Frankly, of, of white people waking up to reality is about a a deficit of empathy, yes, an inability to kind of understand
1: well, you know I have a, a dear friend of Carmel who's been working with us uh, over the last past year and a half, and I question how much experience you know he had in with black folks uh-huh. and so uh, uh Through conversations, he said to me, he says, Tony, um, you know, I've been working with Caramel House central to your mission is African-American experience. Uh, uh, I I feel like I'm having a better understanding of who you are as an institution and not necessarily what it means to be black, but uh, some of the challenges that may come along with it. He says, so we should have some time to talk offline. So we got together, and for 16 hours, we hung out. Uh, we ate. We had the difficult conversation. That was vo- that was a little shouting. That was they was shouting.
0: It co- was the difficult. Sh- what was the content of the difficult well, conversation?
1: I think there are stereotypes that come along with you know, what do people say when uh, others of like them are not in the room? Uh huh. And really asking some of those questions. Mm-hmm. What are some of the perceptions of 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 of, 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 of black folks to white folks, black uh, white folks to black folks? Mm-hmm and really having those conversations and that politics became a part of it. Who really takes the deep dive on politics knowing that, you know, uh, we may be on different ends of the continuum? Mm -hmm. And so it was really interesting Mm -hmm. having that conversation. And I think that it's important for people to really have the conversations, the Uh difficult conversations, and go in it with a clear understanding that This is really centered on better understanding, Mm -hmm. and that it's not going. It doesn't have necessarily have to be pretty. It has to be respectful.
0: Mm -hmm. It has to be real,
1: and it has to first and foremost, Dan. It has to be real. So the next day, uh, I was exhausted and could not move. Really, because of what I invested in the conversation, Mm -hmm. and was so pleased that uh, he said, "Let's talk." Mm And I walked out with an awareness, and we both uh, walked out with a, a, a newfound respect for each other. Mm-hmm. And of course, you've heard the term before: a "brother by another mother." But yes. it really sealed that <laughs> that that friendship and that relationship. Uh-huh. What did you learn? That stereotypes, and I always I knew this, but it was underscored. Stereotypes are really real for others. Mm-hmm and guide them. That the lack of, um, it's important to really uh, help people understand accurate history. Mm -hmm. Because there's a history of the the mind and then there's the truth Mm -hmm. and real history. And quite often, just based on, in our educational systems around the country, American history in its true form is not accurately told from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there's an opportunity to continue to highlight the truth. Mm -hmm. It's important. And people say, oh, you get stuck in history, but it doesn't move the needle. No, we need to start, we need to be clear on from whence we cometh, well, where this started, what's the cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the, couple of things that I learned in that experience.
0: The next production coming up uh, at Karamu, which is still a virtual uh, online production. Yes. I'm not a fan of the word virtual because it makes it sound like it's not real and it's very real, um, is Greenwood. Yes. Talk about Greenwood. So Greenwood an American Dream Destroyed is about
1: the destruction of the Tulsa Massacre, Black Wall Street. Right. Um, And for 60 70 years most people did not know about the Tulsa massacre that there were over 600 businesses businesses destroyed 300 plus people killed Uh, black people and they had created this incredible, uh, incredible thriving communities. You know, there were people who uh, were oil barons, black folks who were oil barons. They had their own banks. Uh, it was a self-sustaining community that the dollars in that community went around six times, if I'm not mistaken, before it left the community. And white Tulsa, 100 years ago, was furious about that. And the inciting incident to the massacre was a, uh, a young man who uh, got on an elevator. And the elevator operator, uh, according to the story, did not level off the elevator to the floor. He tripped, and he reached for her trying, well, didn't reach for her, he, he was reaching not to fall. He grabbed her, she had a huge reaction. Um, then the merchants in the other parts of the story, it was a it was a domino effect. Mm-hmm. and within... And
0: involved a newspaper as well.
1: And it involved a newspaper as well. That publicized the lynching. Publicizing the lynching and um, and has historically kind of stirred the pot mm-hmm. uh, around uh, the Greenwood community of Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the story of, in Greenwood and American Dream Destroyed is told through the uh, eyes of the Bowie family and uh, this were they a
0: historical family?
1: No, it is a, it's the facts and actions in the play are real. This is a a, is a, a fictional fictional fictionalized family that Set represents in, yeah. uh, many of the families of the uh, affluent black folks in oh. Tulsa.
0: It's an extraordinary production um, and really kind of jammed with the history and with the the story of Greenwood um, which even even in the You know, the last few years, there's been more attention paid to the Tulsa massacre, thanks to the HBO series Watchmen, which Mm -hmm. opens with that, and and other journalistic pieces, and the you know Ta-Nehisi Coates several years ago writing the case for reparations, in which he reminded his readers of um, of those events. Um, But none of that tells the story of what it was like to be a family there. Or really paints the full picture and the texture uh, of life there in the same way that this production does? Well, because the action of the
1: play takes place in the family diner. Mm-hmm. And so you have community members coming in and out. So, although so you see the Boley family, who's, uh, you know, uh, again, an affluent family in town, you see a couple of vets who come in, who who reflect back on World War I. You see one woman who lives with a, a white family in T-Town, as she refers to it, who mm-hmm. comes over to Greenwood as often as she can to immerse herself in black culture. Mm-hmm. And so you see the diversity uh, within a culture, you see the diversity within a community, and you see and feel the spirit of Greenwood. Mm-hmm. The playwright, uh, Celeste Bedford-Walker, has done an incredible job of just this 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 cornucopia of characters coming
0: together to be a part of this experience. Um, what was it like for your actors to participate in this? Uh, you know, the fans of Karamu, others will recognize many of the faces and the names and the, who are who are in the in Greenwood. Um, what what did it mean to to those colleagues of yours to 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 create this and bring this to life? Well, first of all, it was an educational experience.
1: For us all, because when we talk about the Bowley family, Mm -hmm. uh, they weren't real, but some of the characters in the play were real. So like Dr. Jackson, who uh, uh, was celebrated by the Mayo brothers for his uh, his work as a surgeon. Uh, He's in the play, and he's Mm -hmm. actually a real figure. So just the level of research. So it's Jimmy James. And so it's, yes, uh, Jimmy Johnson. Johnson. Yes. Pardon me, Jimmy Johnson. Uh, uh, And he renamed himself Dick Rowland. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the, he, he's he's the, the young, victim. Yes, he's the young man who was accused of assaulting the white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it, what was that? I, 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 I was asking
0: it. about the, about your, uh, your, the actors, so, the Karen actors.
1: So it was really, we spent a lot of time doing table work. And in the theater, that's sitting down and really unpacking the show, uh, better understanding who these characters are, which are they fictional or not. So uh, just like I think the bully name comes from, I think that's a Bowley, Oklahoma,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, understanding about the Native American experience in, in Oklahoma, unpacking that work. Uh, it was just really rich um, to, 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 to get that deep in the history and to really better understand what happened because then it took us to know that, you know, there are other boom towns that Mm -hmm. were referred to black thriving towns that back then were really active. Uh, You know, Rosewood, we know about that. So it was really a history lesson for us all. And I think the other biggest piece, and this is from an artistic perspective, is that um, we rehearsed for three weeks in Mm -hmm. mask.
0: Uh
1: And so (laughs) the first day we took off mask was the first day of filming. So me as a director, oh, gosh. there were a couple of actors who I had not worked with before. Uh-huh. So when they took their mask off, I didn't know who they were. Mm. Uh, and that was really, really funny. Or as an actor or a director, uh, I've seen your eyes and half of your face. So then I get to see your face on the first day of filming. I'm responding to something, half of what I've not you're like, no, I, I
0: don't want you to make that face. I need you to <laughs> right. smile more. I need you to. <laughs> right. right.
1: So it blew my mind. And so, uh-huh. as a director, I was like, whoa, okay. yeah." What do you do? Because, you know, the the, the clock is
0: ticking and it. Yeah, you know, and you're, you're paying for the film crew. Yes, most importantly, you're paying for <laughs> the film crew. Let me just remind uh, our audience that um, you're with the City Club Friday Forum. I'm Dan Malthrop, uh, chief executive here. And today we're. Our guest is Tony Sias, he's president and CEO of Karamu House, also clearly the creative director there. And, uh, and Karamu House is the oldest multicultural arts institution in the United States, and it's right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and if you don't know about it, you really should. If you have questions for Tony, uh, 330-541-5794 is the number to text your question, 330-541-5794. If you're on Twitter, please tweet that question at the City Club, and we will work it in. Um, Tony, is an extraordinary moment. As you know, I was alluding to earlier about the ways in which um, Black culture has an increased. Um, it's always been important. I don't know how to say this, but the, there's more attention being paid to the to Black cultures and Black creators of culture right now um, than there has been in the past. By and I'm sort of thinking by like mainstream, and and people are turning to places like Karamu, the artists that you uh, that you present to help to help build the empathy, create the empathy, inspire the empathy that seems to be lacking so much. Um, It's an extraordinary sort of moment to be running the oldest multicultural arts institution in the United States. I I, I have to imagine that you have big visions for Karaman.
1: Yeah, well, you know, as we sit and talk about the oldest multicultural organization in the country, we are a black organization yeah unapologetically black yes but it's an institution for all so when you begin to talk about the actors that we work with they represent the diversity of cleveland and the country and it's us telling these stories uh... that are inclusive in the storytelling of whites and blacks and Asians, and the list goes on, and Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to really be able to say black. You know, black was a thing that we didn't say for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that, um, so I was, I was a part of a um, panel discussion somewhere, and, uh, no, uh, market research. Mm-hmm. And there was a question of, well, is it black? Or is it uh, African American? Or would you prefer to be BIPOC? And I said, you know, I've been black longer than I was African American, so I'm black <laughs> and I'm okay being black. And you can self, anybody can self identify in any way in which they choose. Um, so, in this seminal moment, you know, I just think it's important that this talent has always been here. Yes. Uh, the vision and desire to tell stories mm-hmm. uh, has always been there. We've always been telling the stories i feel like a institution like Caremu for uh... for a period of time our audiences were not as diverse as the audiences were when russell and rowena jellup a jewish couple founded the organization one hundred and now six years ago mm-hmm. and so we're looking at these days that our audiences are diverse that that our, our panel discussions are inclusive of diverse of diversity and that that's something we stand uh... proud to talk about these days and that people uh have found a newfound value mm-hmm. for the institution mm-hmm. and i think it's about a couple of things i think we've got an incredible board of directors and that i'm honored to say we've mustered an incredible leadership team that's passionate about the work that is as diverse as as cleveland and mm-hmm. something i say with pride my entire leadership team i'm the only male on that team so it's this I, i'm honored to work with this incredible group of women who are in partnership with me and leading the organization.
0: Mm-hmm. I have to imagine that there are places on the coast, uh, institutions, arts institutions on the coast that are thinking about and noticing Karamu in ways that they maybe hadn't five or six or seven or eight years ago um, because of the importance of the the works that you're presenting and, and the ways in which you present them. Is that is that the case? So we are having more conversations with uh, folks
1: on the coast and mm-hmm. you know one of the things that we're working to do is to say, Karen, was a place for you. Mm-hmm. Come, let's have a conversation. What mm-hmm. work do you uh, are interested in talking about and presenting? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So we look forward to it and hopefully uh, this fall we'll be able to share more in the near future about how we engage some of our alums and friends on either of the
0: coasts. Speaking of this fall, yes. uh, when are you opening? When will people be able to, I know we're sitting in an empty auditorium right now here at the City Club, and as as somebody who's, whose work is bringing people together for a communal experience uh, on a stage, you know, the, it's, not, it's not theater, but it's not unlike theater. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> uh, I I can't wait to bring people back. You know, I can't yes. wait to have an audience uh, to have an audience in this room. Um, when will people be able to be in the audience at Caramo? We October
1: October October. We are uh, excited to uh, announce a season in July mm-hmm. and. Uh, I was hoping I would have had to be able to share that with our audience today. I was hoping today. that too, Tony.
0: <laughs> I really was. I mean, let's be honest. Um, but you'll have an announcement sometime soon? Yes,
1: in July. We will make a formal announcement about our 2021-2022 uh, season.
0: And in the meantime, I haven't actually asked you, give you a chance to talk about Juneteenth this year.
1: So we are partnering with Downtown Cleveland Alliance and mm-hmm. uh, Ingenuity Festival to uh, something called Freedom Fest, and it's going to mm-hmm. be on uh, June 19th, on mm-hmm. Mall C. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say that uh, DCA uh, came to us, Heather and Michael, and, and mentioned the fact that they had an idea uh, about bringing the city together downtown during June- Juneteenth. And of course, Caribou had planned to have uh, a celebration in our parking lot. And so we are really excited about bringing the community together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I need, before I go in here, I need to say this, It's important that Juneteenth celebrations have been happening in pockets of the community for many years. Mm -hmm. And we want the community to continue to participate in neighborhood activities. That's so important. Mm -hmm. But we want the community and neighborhood uh, activity to really say, let's all come together in a central location, downtown, Mm -hmm. to celebrate Juneteenth. So that we are a part of the community and people integrate that into their day on June nineteenth, mm-hmm. helps uh, that it's a Saturday, and it it, it does nice. help that it's a Saturday. Uh, I think doors will open at noon. Uh-huh. Uh, programming will start somewhere about uh, one or two o'clock. There'll be community stage, uh, a community stage that uh, uh, Ingenuity is taking the lead on programming. Uh, I think there are a number of vendors, and then there'll be a main stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're excited. The caravan will have a feature on the main stage. Uh, Mariama White will be one of the features, uh, but we're also excited about having some national artists come in. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are excited to have Terry Lynn Carrington and the Social Society Band, mm-hmm. uh, Lisa Fisher, and a great new artist, her name is Moo, Moo Fresh. And so they will be our headliners for the evening and we will close the evening off with fireworks. So we're That's excited great. about that. Uh, and it's just so great that um, Caramoo, Gets to partner with such incredible organizations like Downtown Cleveland Alliance to bring the community together uh, for such an important
0: celebration. Well, congratulations on that. The, um, the mall C, for those who don't know, is the one that is northernmost of the malls, uh, the ones that you would face the face closest to the lake if you're coming downtown for that, um, and that is on June 19th, of course. Tony Sias of caramu House is with us today at the City Club Friday Forum. Again, if you have a question for Tony please text it to 330-541-5794 or tweet it at the city club and we will work it in. I've got a few questions for you here Tony. Um the uh, you just answered one of them, but um which was about what's next post pandemic and when do, does in-person theater resume. But um do you still have plans for an outdoor stage? We're so excited. So our plans are still to have an
1: outdoor stage. Of course, something happened called a pandemic and we yeah. had to put the pause construction Mm -hmm. so uh, hopefully our plan is by this time next summer Mm -hmm. that uh, we'll be having a grand opening for our outdoor stage uh, our bistro uh, a completely new design land uh, uh, streetscape on Mm -hmm. our Quincy Avenue side Mm -hmm. and and a plaza and so we uh, had a paver campaign, and people could buy paver and they'd be on the plaza. And we're going to have a huge marquee that will be promoting events and activities that's happening inside of Caramu House. So that corner of East 89th and Quincy will become a destination location, so that once you get there, you know that you have arrived uh, uh, to Caramu House. And our vision for the future, uh, the ACE District, the Arts, Culture, and Education
0: District, in the heart of the
1: historic Fairfax community.
0: So, um, Tony, when you came on board in 2015, Karamu had a a bunch of different programs. There was early childhood ed. There was some other things. And you had to pare all of that back um, and get back to the the nuts and bolts and the basic stuff of presenting theater arts. Right. Um, It sounds like you're branching out again, expanding a little bit. You mentioned a bistro.
1: Yeah. So... (laughs) So there's an opportunity to have more healthy eating choices uh, Uh in in Fairfax, and and work is happening. Mm -hmm. There's a grocery store coming soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we want it to kind of be a little kind of one-stop shop. Mm -hmm. So we want a person to be able to come to the theater and have a pre-show cocktail, Mm -hmm. uh, which we've always had cocktails. Uh, and then something to nosh on if you need to grab something really quickly before a show. And something to grab if you want to grab something after a show. So that people can come and have a complete evening on the Karamu campus. Uh, and that's one of the things that we're excited about. To be able to ha- have that complete experience. And that even that when there are not productions going on, mm-hmm. you know, we have... Um, we do community programs, which really does include, you know, our In the Tradition series, which is mm-hmm. Kwanzaa, Black, MLK Day, mm-hmm. uh, celebrating Black History Month. But we do comedy. We do, we do poetry. Uh, uh, we have panel discussions and book signings. Mm-hmm. And so people should be able to come to Caramu, not just for a production, but to say, hey, I, I, need, to meet, I need to meet Dan about mm-hmm. a business matter. Let's meet in the bistro. Let's grab something to eat. And let's talk. So mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, Karamu is a word for uh, a joyful gathering place, and we really want to live the meaning of that word. That people come there,
0: and it is a joyful gathering. Wonderful. Um, so, how does Karamu House? This is an interesting question. How does Karamu House support its actors when they're reenacting very traumatic events and experiences from the past? There's an emotional toll there. I mean, that's sort of true of all actors, all serious actors, but. But in particular, there's something unique, I think, about in particular what you're taking on with Greenwood. So, uh, quite often, there are uh, intimacy
1: coaches when there are Mm -hmm. intimate moments. But what we do is we stop and we debrief and we have conversations. Um, I think that one of the things that we had one actor who says, hey, this really took a toll on me. So we were able to contact some of our friends in the community in the mental health space mm-hmm. to say we need this support and to have that conversation and to guide individuals mm-hmm. into this into that space because uh, health uh, mental health is really an issue in the african-american community that's sometimes not really um given the necessary attention mm-hmm. I, I think about you know and this is a conversation that um Asila, who is the operations director mm-hmm. and community programs person, we were having this conversation the other day, and we talked about the word resilience. Mm-hmm. You know, we, as black folks, we are resilient, and but that bounce back is not normal, mm-hmm. and you, you, you are resilient, but what is that toll that it takes on you? Yeah. And so, beginning to better understand uh, how you can still be resilient, but how do you really? Take the time to take care of yourself, mm-hmm. and so quite often, as you, we mentioned earlier, uh, we're learning how to do that.
0: Tony, don't you ever? Do you ever just be like, I'm so tired of being resilient. Can't I just get back into bed?
1: I yeah, but I don't have time for that because <laughs> there's work to be done. But I think it's how do you create a, a, a sense of balance? Yeah. H- how do you have? How does Tony have his talking doctor? Uh-huh. How does Tony make sure that he he gets up and exercise? And so, and and eating healthy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so those are the kinds of things that in the last past year or so, that I've had to keep uh, intact. We were at the uh, event last night and one woman walked up to me. She says, you don't have any COVID weight off. She said, Corona. She Uh said, you don't have the Corona pounds. I said, well, I kind of got up and did a little walking, a little exercise. And you know, I always had a few pounds, Uh, but I think it's really, knowing that now more than ever, that you have to take care of yourself. When we think about yeah. COVID-19 and those who had underlying conditions, uh, you know, so many African-Americans do. And so it was a reminder to me and my friends and my network and the artists that we work with, it is important that you take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and that will be some of the issues that we'll be talking about in our social justice series coming up. So um, we're gonna continue to produce in the virtual space. Um, Our social justice series will be uh, virtually, and some work in person, but we'll be uh, addressing issues of policing, uh, health disparities uh, in the African American community, whether it's uh, uh, issues around lead poisoning, uh, healthy eating active living so we need to continue these conversations that's a new kinda programming that we've had we've always dealt with social justice care it was foundation was founded on social justice mm-hmm. and, and in service of individuals but we're gonna heighten that in the community so that we can continue, continue the conversations and help is guide this, people. Are
0: you, is this new work that you're talking about? Yeah. New
1: new theatrical work? New theatrical work created the new content creation uh-huh. so after we did freedom on Juneteenth last, last year June. we did uh, episode called Freedom After Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. The first one was on policing and trauma in the black community. The, the last two were on voting. One was called uh, Voting Your Right, Your Power. The second was I Too Am America. And what we found is that we've been able to reach people for people, one of my team members to say, I am over 40 years old, and I've never voted. No. And for that person to then say, Be, uh, This being presented has made me
0: register to vote and vote. So was this in, in the last, in the general election in 2020? Yes.
1: Yeah. So that's the kind of impact we're talking about.
0: And so quite often... Um, do you plan, the, the voter turnout in Cleveland was, um, has been cited as, as some of the lowest in the nation for, mm-hmm. uh, for a municipality, for a, a city of our size. Um, do you, uh, will you continue? I mean, that's a, is that work you're gonna continue? I, I like suddenly perked up. Like I mean, I'm like I, I love you, Tony, and I love I love this conversation. But I'm like, oh, democracy, voting. Let's talk. You know. um, but. Uh, is that work that you're going to continue? We will
1: continue to do, and it happens in multiple ways. I mean, we create new content that's theatrical, Mm -hmm. but it's really about having panel discussions uh, that we hosted last year Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of something we call front porch conversations, so Mm -hmm. it's not as formal. It's groups of people coming together to just have conversations and facilitate it uh, Mm -hmm. so that we can keep the conversation moving forward. Mm -hmm. So, yes, that is work that we will continue to do.
0: Um, is speaking of work you're continuing to do, um, you said you're going to continue to work in the, in the virtual streaming space. Mm-hmm. Will that continue when you're presenting in person as well? Yes. And how, do you, how does that work for the business? So, uh, when you create your own content,
1: mm-hmm. you're then working directly with playwrights who give you the rights to then stream the work. Uh-huh. Our main stage season will not be virtual. Right. So uh, the shows that will be a part of our season, you you will have to come. You have to come buy a, t- a ticket. Yeah, and buy a ticket and be in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be a mistake to um, for Caramu mm-hmm. not to continue in the virtual space because uh, our donor base has increased mm-hmm. uh, with new donors. Um, we're seeing, we're able to reach people around the world, and so we need to create content that is made available. To them, so we can continue that
0: partnership with the country and the world. <laughs> Your partnership with the world. Thank <laughs> yes. you, Tony. Um, so, uh, the different vein of questions here. Um, but what uh, what emerging artists and playwrights are you most excited about? Emerging artist and playwright. In other words, people are looking for recommendations. Who should they keep their eye on? Who are you watching?
1: Oh, that's so tricky, and I get in trouble when I start listing folks. Oh, just um, well. Let, You can go with out-of-town people to avoid that problem. This is is what I'm going to say. This artist is not emerging, Uh but this is something that I have been privileged to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Celeste Bedford-Walker wrote... Who wrote Greenwood. Who wrote Greenwood, also wrote Sassy Mamas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, Lloyd Wilson... No, Lloyd Wright who directed most of August Wilson's works. Thank you, okay. um, Understood his work and understood his rhythms. And I am understanding Celeste's
0: rhythms. Well, you mentioned prior to us sitting down here on stage that that you and Celeste kind of collaborated to revise the script that you're presenting.
1: Yes, yes, so we did a number of edits Mm
0: -hmm. uh, for the the virtual platform,
1: Um, and you don't like virtual, it's uh, all right. Streaming. I mean,
0: I, I can't fight it. People use the word. I just don't happen <laughs> to like
1: it. <laughs> uh, streaming. And so, but it's, it's another, but I'm saying something a little differently. Yeah. I'm saying directing someone's work is understanding and connecting with their true intention. Mm-hmm. And to understand it, that she writes in a way that it's rhythmic. And August Wilson's writing is as complex and rhythmic as Shakespeare in its own right. Mm-hmm. So in Wilson, he's written these words for a reason and he can be quite verbose at times, mm-hmm. but it's there and you try to begin to edit it and you're throwing the rhythm off. It's almost like a score of music. Mm-hmm. And so it's been great working with Celeste's work uh, mm-hmm. to direct to, to the work,
0: mm-hmm. so it's, it's awesome. That's a really interesting way that you totally avoided the question about new artists and emerging artists by just referencing August Wilson and the artist you're currently (laughs) working with. (laughs) Um, So uh, does Karamu offer ways that people can submit plays that they would like to see produced? So
1: yes, uh, it's come out of, historically we would, do
0: submissions
1: and people send in their plays. It really takes a a team of people, a staff person to be Mm -hmm. completely dedicated to new works. Mm -hmm. That's a vision for us a couple of years down the road. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the capacity at this point to just receive new plays and then, and we don't have the system in place yet. But what we do have is that we're, we sent out a call to writers to respond to key issues, Uh, uh, COVID, policing, under our our new umbrella of social justice. And we asked them to write these five-minute plays of monologues. So we really have a targeted approach right now that the current team can then look at these works, uh, see which bucket they fit in, and then we'll begin to uh, produce this work and align it to the larger social justice series that we'll be streaming.
0: Very interesting. Um, Okay. So there there are opportunities for people. There are opportunities.
1: Okay. We're not prepared to receive your 120-page play right now. It's those short five-minute plays that we want local artists to submit. And it's been incredible. We got about 52 plays, uh, 52 submissions most recently. And I tell you, um, just speaking of emerging artists, people who I didn't know really wrote,
0: who just, I was like, this is good. Well it's funny because it's such a small town, right? Yeah. So like the names are probably hitting your inbox and you're like, oh, well, hello.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, and.
0: <laughs> well that's great. Um, Tony, can you talk about, uh, about broader efforts uh, in terms of the revitalization of Fairfax, um, how Karamu is, you, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but, um, but what's the vision for the future of Fairfax and how will Karamu fit in there?
1: Well, I think that the, the vision of Fairfax really starts with our partners, uh, Fairfax Renaissance Development Corporation, mm-hmm. uh, who have been a partner. And I alluded to something called the ACE District. And the development of the ACE District has always been in the master plan of, of Fairfax Renaissance Development Corporation. And um, ac- upon coming to Caramu and hearing about that vision, I know that it is something that we can actualize, and we're in the process of actualizing as we Mm -hmm. talk about the renovations on our campus. Um, So you think about Fairfax, and you've got an incredible amount of history there. Mm -hmm. And again, I hate to start naming things and then forget somebody feels left out, so charge it to the head and not the heart. But when (laughs) you think about coming down uh, 89th Street, Mm You've got one of the oldest black churches in Cleveland, you've got Antioch Baptist Church. And then right around, right across the street, you've got Boyd Funeral Home, over 100 plus years old. You continue down 89th Street, and you've got Caramel House, uh, 106 years old. Adjacent to that, on the next corner, is Olivet Institutional Baptist Church. One street over is the home that Langston Hughes grew up in, and then you've got um, a plethora of other institutions mm-hmm. so we have an opportunity to focus in on in that Ace district mm-hmm. to talk about the cultural trail and the history of these incredible institutions that are all in walking distance mm-hmm. right there in Fairfax and so when you talk about the development of Fairfax then you just take we go a little further and talk about opportunity corridor and the development that's happening there. So, of course, Fairfax, uh, uh Caramu and other institutions will have markers to guide that traffic over to Caramu house. And that that's really central to uh, our, our next phase. You know, we're going into phase 3 which we will have complete hopefully next summer, but it's the master planning for our campus is is next for us. So, uh Fairfax is a very promising community. There are a plethora of you know concerns that need to continue to be addressed. But what community doesn't have things? But we are a, a culturally rich community uh
0: that I see a very bright future. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Tony Syas, president and CEO of Caramu House, the nation's oldest black theater. And uh, you can join us with a question to if you have one, please text it to 3305415794 or tweet it at the City Club and we'll work it into the program. Um, Tony, this is a big question, but it's sort of um, it's underpinning or kind of underneath a lot of what we've been talking about. Um, this comes from one of our audience members. but do you see how do you see the, the future in terms of society will American society be able to grow beyond, the systemic racism that has plagued us for so long. <clears throat> I know. I know, but an audience member asked it. So, I mean, if we had an audience here, somebody would have, you know, somebody would have stood up with a microphone in their face and asked that. We have an incredible
1: opportunity ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that we would be able to do that work. What's the timeline on that?
0: Oh, well, it's, it's, Who knows? I mean, it's the journey, isn't it? It's not, there's probably not an Uh, an arrival and so I think as individuals we have
1: to make the commitment to figure out are we going to be allies are we going to be uh, anti-racist are we going to own that at a starting point you may have to acknowledge that that's where you are based on definition and be willing to grow from there and it ain't personal it's serious you gotta do the work. And, and it is personal, let me even say that. So uh, I think it's a huge question, but it's a huge question for each individual. Mm-hmm. And then from individual to communities, how do you want to be perceived? Mm-hmm. How, 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 not even just perceived, what are you committed to do it in your own personal life? What are you willing to give up? And what are you willing to do differently to begin to
0: actualize that grand vision of the eradication of systemic racism. You know, when we were talking about this earlier in the hour, um, I was very inelegantly trying to get at this, at this question. But listening to you, I feel like w- the, the moment that we've arrived at is this choice for every individual to say either you're OK with the status quo mm-hmm. or you're not. And if you're not OK, then there's work to be done. Yes and it starts it and it starts with whatever it is that you want to do but but doing nothing isn't really is basically saying I'm okay with the status quo.
1: Yeah and unfortunately doing nothing is still a choice.
0: Yes, yes. There's legislation across the country including in Ohio that would limit what sort of topics regarding racial history and racism that um, teachers can teach in schools if it creates quote guilt or makes people feel quote uncomfortable. If passed, can Carmu step into this space to continue important conversations about race and racism? And what does this legislative effort say about the difficulty of having these conversations?
1: So the leading problem is, and from my perspective, is being concerned about your comfort or discomfort. you got to get ready to be uncomfortable. Un- Just- it's uncomfortable. And we spent too much time making it comfortable so we need to confront the discomfort we need to sit and waddle in the discomfort Mm -hmm. to then better understand what that is to then begin to take actionable steps towards better understanding how can you get to a place and not necessarily of comfort
0: but change It's probably our last question here, Tony. Do you have plans, does Karamu have plans to travel at all, take its productions into other neighborhoods outside of Fairfax or other communities outside of Cleveland? Or is the goal really just get to Karamu? Come on in, ease on down, ease (laughs) on down. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I think it's twofold. Mm -hmm. I think the brand has to go beyond 89th and Quincy and i think in the virtual streaming space we've been able to actualize that, and we will continue to do that and yes uh... having touring productions would be incredible Mm -hmm. and we've done some of that we've taken a few things to columbus Um, so i think we look forward to it in the future but really right now i think it's let's let's move back into in person let's continue to hone and better understand what our streaming presence will be and then down the, few, down the road, if there's opportunity, we'd be more than happy to do the work.
0: Mm-hmm. But you do have a, de- I mean, it is a destination, and yes. it should be a destination. As we, I mean, there's plenty of other, nobody's asking the Indians to, to, um, to play elsewhere when they're playing at home. <laughs> right, home is home. <laughs> home is home. <laughs> All right, well, Tony Saez, President and CEO of Karamu House, thank you so much for your time today. It's really been a pleasure to have you as part of our conversation. The pleasure has been mine, and thank you. Thank you very much. Our forum today is the Larry and Barbara Robinson Family Foundation Forum. The Robinsons have served the greater Cleveland cultural arts and business communities for decades. Larry was an active and civic and community leader who served as our board president in 1972 and his wife Barbara spent her life at the forefront of efforts to promote and support arts and culture in Northeast Ohio and nationally. Among her many leadership positions, she led the Ohio Arts Council for 13 years, transforming that organization into one of the nation's most respected state arts councils. We're very grateful for the support of the Robinson family who make this annual forum possible. I want to thank also our members, sponsors, donors and many others who support the City Club's mission to create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. We have two such conversations coming up next week. On Tuesday, Dr. Patricia Sullivan will be interviewed by Kathleen Kennedy Townsend, daughter of Ethel and Robert F. Kennedy, about Senator Kennedy's role in the Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s. Senator Kennedy, of course, delivered the Mindless Menace of Violence speech here at the City Club in 1968. And on Friday, we'll talk with Democratic Senator from Rhode Island, Sheldon Whitehouse, about dark money and what's referred to as court capture and the future of American democracy. You can find out more and see what else is coming up at cityclub.org, and you can check out what you missed there, or on PBS Passport, Roku, Amazon Firestick, Vimeo, and, of course, our YouTube channel as well. I'm Dan Malthrop. Thanks so much for joining us today. Our forum is now adjourned. For
1: information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org.
0: Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland, Incorporated.